Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated. <clears throat> Well, good morning to everyone. Okay, good to see you all here. I'd like to uh, extend um, a special welcome and greeting. I believe we have uh, some guests in the house from Washington College. Would that be true? All right, okay. Uh, Brother Hunter uh, last week said he was going to bring some people from Washington College here, and indeed, he's a man of his word. So, uh, welcome to you all, and uh, blessings to you. Thank you for coming. Our sermon uh, today is under the title, And We Shall Be Comforted. And We Shall Be Comforted. This passage, I'm coming from um, Isaiah. And the Isaiah passage that we have today, brothers and sisters, is a spiritual and scriptural feast for us. When I was looking at the, the passage uh, a week or so ago, I thought to myself, Oh my God, there is so much in this passage from Isaiah. It is so filled with allusions and, and favorite quotations that when you think about it, it, it's no surprise. It's no surprise that the book of Isaiah, for many uh, in the ancient church, it was known as the fifth gospel. This is an idea that came from St. Jerome in the fourth century because it was so full of quotations, allusions, pieces that were pulled out by the earliest Christians to inform the birth of the faith, a true scriptural feast. You can begin with the gospel, with Mark's gospel there, with John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness. He is the messenger whose prophetic words stirred hearts and filled the people of Jerusalem and Judea with expectation. St. Peter, in his first epistle, amplified Isaiah's statements about fading flowers and God's enduring word that stands forever. For him, the word in question is the word that is preached, the good, the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the word that stands. And then centuries later, as the Reformation develops there in Europe, Martin Luther declares that the sole authority for guiding Christian life lay in the enduring word of God. The passage that he pulled from this bit of Isaiah, the enduring word of God is where he finds his authority and not in the pronouncement of popes who come and go. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, he said. And that became one of the battle cries of the Reformation. And it still informs the faith traditions of millions throughout the world. Isaiah goes on to say that after all the preparations have been made, then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all shall see it. And what glory, you might ask? Turn to St. Paul, his second letter to the Corinthians, where he finds the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You can think of these allusions, brothers and sisters, as, as appetizers in our spiritual feast as tantalizing morsels to savor, each worthy of extended exploration. But they are not the main course. The main course today, the pièce de résistance, as they would say, is found in the opening verse that I just mentioned to you. Comfort, 
Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her turn. Here is a passage that we can sink our teeth into. These words were good news to the exiles who first heard them. These words meant that the Babylonian captivity, the presumed punishment for their idolatry was over. After 50 plus years, they were going home to wounded Jerusalem. She whose walls had been torn down and her sanctuaries violated. So speak tenderly to her and have mercy upon her. Let there be rejoicing and anointing with the oil of gladness. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. The ancient Israelites heard these words and knew that they were going home, that a second exodus was about to begin. And the earliest Christians saw in this idea of comfort the coming of Jesus Christ. He is the one for whom our Advent preparations must be made. He is the enduring word coming in great humility with might and power. He is the one in whom mercy and truth have met, in whom righteousness and peace have kissed, and in whose body and by whose body and blood we are fed in our great Eucharistic feast. Daily we cry out for comfort and for consolation, for encouragement and forgiveness. These basic human needs send people running to a prophet in the Judean desert, and they send us each one of us, at one time or another, they send us to Christ with a prayer on our lips, Lord, grant us thy peace. Grant us relief from our pain and sorrows. For we are the people of your pasture, the sheep of your hand, the flock that you feed, carry, and gently lead. Grant us thy peace. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, for they will be comforted. Comforted by whom? If not by Christ, and by me, and by you. All of us comforting and being comforted. It could be in huge ways, or small ways, putting a bandage on a bruised knee, but bringing comfort and consolation. This idea of bringing comfort came home to me in a, a powerful, very powerful and very personal way uh, earlier on this week. Well, some of you might have heard that the, Fed, the Food and Drug Administration approved a, a gene editing treatment that could cure sickle cell disease. Now, I know people that are afflicted by sickle cell, and I know it to be a terrible and painful genetic blood disorder. And in fact, but for a mysterious quirk while I was in the womb, I would have sickle cell myself. But I was spared that disorder that destroys lives. About 100,000 people in the United States, mostly African-Americans, suffer from it. Miles Davis, the great trumpeter, had it. 
King Tut may have died from it. Albert Johnson, a rapper with the group Mob Deep, indeed did die from it. And he wrote in a song, You can never feel my pain. And he was right. The pain from sickle cell is excruciating and can come without warning. And it is powerful enough to withstand multiple and simultaneous doses of morphine and oxycotton. And yet now there is hope. And I couldn't help thinking that perhaps one of the researchers or the doctors was a person of faith who found inspiration and a sense of mission in today's words from Isaiah. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Give them not only spiritual comfort, but a real and tangible physical comfort. Release from a debilitating disease that in so many cases ends life all too soon. The FDA's announcement was good news for everyone familiar with the ravages and sorrows that are brought on by sickle cell disease. And I am certain that this is only the first of many breakthroughs that will bring comfort into our world. There is a powerful sense of waiting in the hearts of many, waiting for comfort in the good news of its arrival. Today's scripture reminds us of our own spiritual waiting. We have the ancient Israelites waiting for release, the understanding that their penalty had been paid, and then hundreds of years later, people prayed and waited in hopes of a Messiah that would free them from Roman oppression. But God had a different plan. Amen? God had a different plan. And it began with a wild man in the Judean countryside proclaiming a baptism of repentance that brought forgiveness of sins and, can we say, a measure of comfort. We enter into these days of Advent and we return in our memories and our understandings to the first coming of Christ. But all the while, we live in this liminal space between Bethlehem and the promised new Jerusalem. The epistle there from St. Peter lets us know that indeed there will be time for judgment. He talks about the dissolving heavens and the fire. There will be plenty of time for that. But for now, we are called to lead lives of holiness and godliness, to be the comforters that are needed when and where we are needed, just like this past Thursday, when we, the community of St. Anne's, opened our church to the family of Marion Pennington Schlachter, a name that many of you, or perhaps all of you, have never heard before. She died not too long ago, at age 95. She had not worshipped here for at least 70 years. But she was baptized here. She grew into her faith here. And she returned to be buried from here. 
Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. And so we did. Blessed are those who mourn, says our Lord, for they will be comforted. And so, on Thursday, they were. As you can see, brothers and sisters, this little passage from the opening there in Isaiah is worthy of a feast unto itself, offering us countless interpretations to savor, digest, and savor again. Jesus came as an answer to an ancient prayer, just as we too are called to be the answers in our own time to God's eternal prayer. We are called to comfort, to comfort my people. That is the prayer of our God. Amen.